Welcome, everybody, to the Four Tales podcast. I am your host, Kyron Silver from Taurus Comics. Across the way is not the purple protector of the funny pages, Danny J. Quick. Um, unfortunately, today, Danny could not be here. He had some family obligations, but I got you the next best thing. What I got today as my co-host is the 14th source for all geeky and nerdy news and discussion. He's from the podcast for all intents and purposes. He's also an artist and writer of a hugely popular Long John web comic. He is friend of the show, Dan Bethel. How you doing, Dan? I'm doing well. Thanks for inviting me on. And uh, oh, <laughs> no, 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 please sit down. No stop. It's too much. Um, hey, where we, go? Do, we have now a studio audience behind me. Um, if you <laughs> want to see the studio audience, which is the box of Saw the Lightning Wilder comics behind me, you can go to our YouTube channel and search for Tales Podcast, and you can see all the boxes of comics behind me that I used those to clap with them. Boxes, those are boxes of Saw the Lightning Wilder uh, uh, issue three. Issue one, two, and three, actually. Oh, wow. All available now at TaurusComics.com. That is correct. And how about <laughs> your book? Where can we find your book at? You can find my work at LongJohnComic.com. Nice. And uh, it, it is also, Long John is, is a Western about a cowboy that gets his clothes stolen. And despite the silly premise, it's kind of a tale of, uh, of identity and revenge. And uh, it is a webcomic as well. Not like, um, well, I nearly all the content is on the website for free so if you just want to read the comic that's available as well but it is also kind of like a first draft that i put online all the books have extra content uh, and are kind of mild revisions of maybe what goes on online i kind of see once it's online i can see it as a comic then i make maybe slight changes to put in the books so there is value in the books as well but you can find it all at longjohncomic.com you know, I went to introduce you. I didn't think you would actually use that opportunity to just sell your wares. On well, the I learned you've already been on the podcast before. You can't <laughs> resell everything. We're not well, here for you today. Well, that's that's true. That's true. Well, who are we here for then, Karen? We are here for an amazing creator, a writer, an editor, um, uh, a, a Floridian. I think it's what they pronounce it as. Uh, Gene Hoyle. Gene, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great. Um, and yeah, I guess I'm a Floridian now because I've lived here since 2000. But at my at my heart, I was born and raised a New Yorker, upstate oh. New York. Oh yeah, whereabouts? Um, Orange County, Middletown specifically. Okay. But I was born in Nyack. Nice. Okay, I lived in upstate New York, up in Saratoga Springs for a year. So oh, nice. I, know, I, yeah. I really like it up there, or I like it how it was 20 years ago. I don't know how it is now, but um, I, and also another addition, I am also a podcaster. Oh. And, uh, we're currently on hiatus, but um, since about 2009, on and off, I've done the Nerd Nation Radio podcast. So what do you guys talk about on Nerd Nation Radio? Almost anything. Um, what I try to do is I try to get some of the, the big name creators, you know, the big two guys. But then I'll interview them. And then later in the episode, I'll make sure to do an interview with an indie guy. So, you know, they, they come for Peter David, but they stick around for, you know, Kyron Silva. Nice. And um, that that helps promote a lot of books. And we do silly things like, you know, top fives and talk about movies in the box office, pretty much anything nerdy. Nothing's nothing's off the table, but we haven't done it for a little while. Um, I'm hoping to come back to it. Just, you know, personal situation being what it is, it's, it's a little bit hard to sit down for a podcast three times right. a week. Yeah. <laughs> three times but I wasn't going to miss lot. this one. <laughs> yeah, it was it was crazy. 
right. Well, let's talk about the other things that we are here for. You are also a comic creator. Um, you were, my, if my research is correct, I found that you were the editor of The Adventures of Soul Star, uh, writer of Gateway Runners, mm-hmm. um, writer also of Labyrinth of the Bones, and co-writer on Dulce. Does that all sound correct? Those are all correct. Um, back in 2012, um, a friend of mine named Seek Donnelly um, wanted to do a book about um, to raise awareness for brain aneurysms. Mm-hmm. Um, and this gets ironic in a minute, I'll tell you why. But um, so Seek had had one himself the year before, and it changed his entire life. So um, I, I worked on the project with him, and our idea was that each page is going to be done by a different creative team. So we had like 100 people with artists and writers and colors. And my, my main gig on Soulstar was wrangling and making sure stuff was getting done. Um, it was both the best and worst experience I've ever had in comics. It was fantastic. And then uh, pr- putting that out and kickstarting it successfully, I think they made like eight grand. It was ridiculous. Wow. Made me want to do my own stuff. because so I've always written, but um, I always had this idea that I wasn't good enough. Um, and so it was not until I was 44 years old that I printed and put out my first book, which was Gateway, Run- Gateway Runners. That's actually really cool. I mean, especially because there are a lot of people that think, oh, well, I'm in my 40s or 50s or what have you. They think I can't get into comics. So it's actually really nice to hear somebody say, hey, I started later. And, you know, if I can do this, you can do, basically. Well, remember, Jack Kirby was 44 when Fantastic Four number one came out. True. Yeah, but but Jack had also been still working in the business for a while. Yeah, since since the 30s. Ridiculous amount of time. He was born into it all. I would, I, is it safe to assume then that you are an old school comic book reader? Um, yes, I was, uh, I was born in 71. I'm, I'm 50 now. I'm ancient. But um, I, I started reading comics before I, I mean, I don't have memory of not having read comics. Yeah. I've always been reading them. And I would say monthly from the 70s till about three or four years ago, I was buying comics every week. Nice. Do you have like, um, and this is a shallow question, I apologize for that, but so growing up, especially, I, I, I say this because a lot of creators and, and just fans I um, that I've grown up with and know, especially if reading comics young, kind of have a preference towards one of the big two. <laughs> did, did Growing up, did you have a preference towards Marvel or DC? Did that alliance shift over time? And which company do you think really influenced your approach to making comics the most and why? Oh, I don't think that's a shallow question at all. I, I think it's it's a simple question, but it has sure. there's so many different answers you can give to it. Um, reading reading back at that point in time, I read whatever I could get my hands on. Because getting comics in the '70s was going to the Seven Eleven or the cigar cigar store and seeing what was on the rack. Right. So I was reading both Marvel and DC. The funny thing though was with with Marvel, Marvel at that point was putting out a whole bunch of reprint books mm. of the, of the earliest Marvel stuff, like Amazing Adventures reprinted X Men and um, Marvel Super Action reprinted the Avengers stuff. So I was reading that Marvel stuff, getting in on the, the ground floor of this new universe, not realizing it was like 20 years old already. Okay. Um, so, so that was my Marvel stuff. DC, my first grade teacher gave me a Silver Age copy of a Superman comic. Cool. It was Superman's Day of Truth. And it was typical ridiculous Silver Age Superman stuff. But I loved it. And um, I'm not sure which influenced me more because my the two characters I really got into were Superman and Spider-Man. Um, 
And I think I was probably equal, but for completely different reasons. So I'm not sure which I like better. I would say as a universe, a cohesive universe, DC Comics was always something I gravitated towards. I liked I liked the grandeur and the, the epic scope of the DC universe. Mm. I love like the Justice League, Justice Society crossovers that happen in Justice League every year. That stuff I dug. And I loved the continuity. Um, the funny thing is, I remember um, I've heard people say a lot that comics need to have jumping on points. You have to be able to come in at a clean point and read a book to get into it. Well, that wasn't the case with me. I jumped in and there were these questions I'd have, mm-hmm. you know, like, like Hank Pym's talking about um, Hank McCoy. I'm like, well, who's Hank McCoy? I don't know who that is. And I, I, I sought out the answers. Um, so I never, I never bought that you have to start over every five or six years like DC has been doing. Um, <laughs> I think that, I think fans aren't that dumb, kid, right. kid or not. So I guess that's my long answer to your short question. Excellent. Now, do you still read a lot of the major two comics at this point? Yeah, I try to as much as I can. Um, I, it, what I can't buy myself, I have a couple of local friends, and we'll, we'll kind of share comics like we used to do when we were kids. Right. <laughs> and and that, that, that's allowed me to stay on some books I might not have otherwise. Um, stuff like Immortal Hulk, which, in my opinion, is the best book being currently published by any company right now. It's ending. It's coming up to a close with issue 50, but uh, it's so good. It's great. And I'm, I'm loving Superman right now. Um, everything doing with John Kent. I didn't love the aging up of John Kent, but I, I love the uh, character, so I'm sticking with him. Mm-hmm. Well, as, as a creative, and like uh, one of the things that um, I'm really interested in, in process and the, um, the sort of evolution of a person's creativity. Um, and I think for a lot of creators, there is a there's a comic or a creator that that is the the key. It's the trigger. It's something that that composition theorist uh, Donald Murray calls um, uh, what does he call it? It's too early in the morning. Oh my goodness! Uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, it, it, the earliness does affect you. <laughs> I should know this. It's my job. Anyway, um, but he, Donald Murray says something about it, and uh, uh, it's. Uh, it's like the, the 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 specific issue or the comic or the series or the creator that gives them permission to start creating. Not literally, obviously. It's not like Superman turns and goes like, "Go create your own stuff, my friend." But like, was there? Do you think there was like a a, a catalyst point for you where it's like, yeah. "Oh, okay, uh, what what was um, it for you?" And, and to me, the way the way I would describe what you're talking about is uh, if you're making sourdough, there's this thing called the the mother. Like, you take the piece of that and you make your right. sourdough bread with it. That's kind of how I feel about about um, what turned me on to the writing part of comics, the characterization and the plot stuff. And the, the biggest influence by by far was Wolfman and Perez's Teen Titans book. The new Teen Titans is the best example of, of what a comic should be. Um, I will say, and most people would call this an opinion, I'm just going to call it a fact because it can't be argued. The Judas Contract is the greatest comic story ever told. Ever. Mm-hmm. So good. And that really influenced me because what I liked about it is the, the characters, um, they were superheroes and they did their superhero thing, but they had real lives. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I think a lot of comic people today kind of forget at the big too. Um, it's really cool that they're always in uniform and they're always fighting the villains, but show them going shopping. Show them going to the ice rink like the X-Men used to do with Claremont. Um, you need that stuff. because You need to understand that these are people with priorities and other than, you know, punching Dr. Doom in the face. Um, and, and the Perez Teen Titans run, Perez and Wolfman, 
was just, just it, was a, it was a mastercraft le- lesson in writing. Right. Um, and there were also other individual writers that, that said, you know, I read their stuff and I'm like, I think I can do this. Uh, Peter David being one of them because he, mm-hmm. he had a great combination of um, the drama and the seriousness and then the humor mixed in. So I'm, I'm very much a guy that in, in a real life situation will inject humor where it doesn't belong. And mm-hmm. that's my, my coping mechanism. And I think I see that a lot in Peter David's work with his characters. Yeah. And so I tend to write that way as well. And David especially had the benefit of having really long runs on, on series, like multiple series as well. Like I, I probably know him best from X Factor. Um, but of course he had like big, long Hulk run. And, and because of he had, he had that extended period of time, you could really flesh out those, those small moments. Right. Yeah. Sure. And and the great thing about his X Factor run is he's kind of a, and, and I'm not sure if I could swear or not, but he's a slippery son of a gun because <laughs> he wrote that first X Factor run. And then that was it for a while with him on that book. But then he did like the Madrox miniseries, right. which led into another X Factor book, which led into another Madrox series. <laughs> so he, he was stealthily writing Jamie Madrox for like 12 years. <laughs> right. Just what we in don't different know is Peter David is, is actually Jamie Madrox. That's right. Uh-huh. He's that been makes a lot his of whole sense. life. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I'm in, I'm currently enjoying his run on. Uh, he's doing the Symbiote Spider-Man miniseries. Hmm. Um, he's done three or four of them, which is the, the uh, just books taking place while Peter Parker still had the black costume. Oh, okay, hmm. it's been fun. Now, a lot of you you're mentioning your love of superhero books, but you've transitioned as a writer to a lot more of a down to earth, I guess you could say, series. I mean, Gateway Runners is a sci fi series. Uh, they'll say is a sci fi comedy series in a way, and then you have hmm. Labyrinth of Bones, which is like a fantasy series. What made you decide to? steer away from superheroes and go to these, these realms? Um, I will eventually have a superhero story out. Um, it's, it's such a beloved genre to me. Um, and I, I want to make sure that when, I'm, when I sit down to write a comic, a superhero comic with my name on it, I have something to say about the genre. So I'm not going to... I don't want to step into it lightly and just have another comic out there because I feel that there's so many comics, and this is this is especially uh, true of independent comics. There's just a lot of superhero comics that are about a guy who takes off his glasses and fights a guy for 20 pages, and that's the whole book. Mm-hmm. And I don't, mm-hmm. want, I don't want to tell that story. So that story's been told. Right. Uh, I will Many do a superhero times. book. Right. And, and sci-fi, sci-fi stuff is something that's always been near and dear to my heart, too, because from very early on, I was a reader of sci-fi. I wasn't, believe it or not, I'm not the guy who went and played football, but I was the guy who sat and read books all the time. Right. And, you know, stuff like Alan Dean Foster and, uh, um, oh gosh, I don't know, um, the book Gateway by Frederick Cole, huge inspiration for me. Um, mm-hmm. So to write sci-fi comes very natural to me. And, and Gateway Runners actually came from, from me coming up with a, a single concept about two characters. And everything kind of spun off from there. Because the idea was that there was this guy who was having these daydreams and, and just dreams in general about this girl who was calling to him. And um, as far as he could tell, he, he looked for her his whole life and she doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he believes, he just has this inherent belief that she exists. And um, that's where the book starts. You know, he's, he's, been on, he's been in therapy and no one believes him. He's not doing much with his life because of it. And then this guy comes from Mars because Mars had recently been colonized. But there's no way back and forth between the planets. But this guy shows up anyway and says to Phil, the main character, come with me. Not only is your life about to change, that girl, she's on Mars waiting for you. And so it's just that idea that's that sprung off in my head 
that just this guy just knew this girl existed. And I, I went from there, and that's, that's how that concept went. How many issues of Gateway Runners do you have right now? Uh, well, that's that's kind of unfortunate. There's one issue of Gateway Runners out, and that book came out in 2014. Um, un- unfortunately, it, just, it hasn't come together to where me and the artist get together and do the book again. Um, unfortunately, he, he's kind of moved on to other stuff, so I think what's going to have to happen is I'm going to have to start over again uh, with the first issue because when we when we were printing the first issue, when we were writing the first issue and having it drawn, the idea was to have it done. It was be like 30 pages. And it was to be ready for this particular convention, which is a mistake a lot of us indie guys make. We 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 book ourselves a solid deadline and we buy tables and we put all this money into it, and then the book's not ready. So I had to cut off eight pages of that book, oh, wow. which which led to a different ending for the first issue, um, which means that my scripts for issues two, three, and four were no longer valid. Hmm. I'd have to rewrite those. And so what I've decided to do now is once I once I'm in a financial position to do the book. So I want to, you know, make sure I'm paying my artist good money. I want to start again with number one and go from there. However, I have a book called Nerd Nation Presents. That's an anthology title. Basically, I made to get new people in print that haven't seen print before. Uh, and there is a Gateway Runners prequel that's been running in that, which is the story of the old man that comes down and gets the guy in the first issue that I was talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. So that's that. And uh, you will see the beginning and end of Gateway Runners. So there's... There's four issues plus the prequel, and it will come out. I just don't know when. And I want to go back and reread my my uh, copy of Gateway Runners and try to see if I can figure out how the ending could have changed. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting because in the original script, the the runners end up on um a space station that they built specifically for them to do what the work that they plan on doing. Um, and they stop on Mars, and then they go to the space station. In this version that saw print, once they land on Mars, that's it. They stay there. Mm. So that's basically the big difference. And there's a there's a very important scene with a side character that's left out of this first issue that I have to put in. And I can't tell you why because it's a huge spoiler. But I need to get that back in I need to get that back into the book to make the story work. Now you also were the co writer of Dulce with uh, Eric Cockrell and Chuck Pino, and that was a great cast of characters there. Um, how did you get on to that series? I was so happy to get on that book. Um, Eric, Eric was Eric's a Facebook friend of mine, just because you know indie comic guys they they, they kind of collect other indie comic guys as friends. And uh, Eric and I were friends, and I, I liked everything about Eric. Um, he'd done a book called Blister, uh, comic and and a novel, and I liked that stuff a lot. Um, and he mentioned he wanted to do this workplace comedy set in a, um, a secret alien base. And I'm like, oh, that sounds amazing. I, I want to do that book with you. He's like, really? Let's talk about some ideas. So uh, we talked on the phone a little bit, and he says, all right, let's just do this. And I'm like, all right, cool. So uh, it, was all, it was as simple as that. We came up with these characters. We liked, he liked what I was adding to what he had already done, you know, as far as like, building the characters in the world of Dulce. Um, Eric's very much into all that ancient aliens and conspiracy theory stuff. He knows a lot about it. Um, and so he wanted to make sure that stuff was in the story. And I really wanted to play up the comedy angle. And together, and with, with Chuck editing, we made one heck of a book. It was fun. I really liked it. Actually, uh, I got both copies of Dulce. I think you guys did like a remake of it, right? Or a relaunch oh, we did, of it? We did, no, we, we did two issues. Yeah, We did one and we did two. Um, and they're, they're, um, it's a continuing thing. 
although they're a standalone as well. There is a third issue. Uh, it's just a matter of Eric's schedule being freed up enough because he's he's been quite involved with uh, Chronicles of the Essence Guard, his audio uh, drama. So uh, eventually we're going to do at least Dulce 3, which will kind of wrap up the story from issues 1 and 2. So what is it like working with, because I'm notoriously solo guy, <laughs> but um, yes. what explain the difference, especially because comics are a lot about collaboration, right? Where either it's writers working with artists, or in this case, with, with the case of Dulce, writers working with writers. Um, what do you enjoy about working with another writer versus writing your own book by yourself? Uh, what are the benefits and maybe I don't know, you don't have to go into negatives if you don't want to, but of each of each style, oh, if you will. Oh, it's a, it's a nightmare. Just, just <laughs> um, writing with somebody else is, is way harder for me. Mm-hmm. Um, when I, I've done actually, I, I've actually done that. I'd say twice there. There's actually a, uh, and I can't say much about this because of NDA stuff, but um, a couple of years back, I wrote a four issue miniseries with a friend of mine for a company. Um, and it hasn't come out yet. Uh, we wrote that together, and we wrote everything together, and then I did Dulce with Eric, and the processes were very, very different. With uh, the, the book that book I can't talk about, we did scene by scene. We each took a couple pages, and we wrote them, and then we made changes that had to be made, and we agonized over every single page and every single line of dialogue so it fit the other pages. And as much as I love how the product came out, mm-hmm. it was a nightmare process. It really was. It wasn't, it wasn't fun. Uh, with Eric, it was a little different because – Eric and I discussed it. Um, the first issue Eric had written, like the first six or seven pages already when I came on board. Oh. Um, and, and he said, here's where I want the story to go from there. I said, all right, what if we do this, this, and this? And he's like, that's great. Okay. And then I just wrote the rest of the, the issue and he went through and added stuff. Right. Um, so it's a lot more, there's a lot more freedom, I think, to be the kind of writer that I normally am with Dulce. And then the second issue was completely different. You know, just a matter of... Um, who had time to write what and who had the ideas to do what and mixing them together. It was a lot easier with Dulce than it was with the other book. I prefer writing solo, to be honest with you, uh, because I like to sit there and develop characters or stuff in my mind that I want to play out within the series uh, or with, if it's a single book that I want to play out later in the book. And to me, being the only uh, chef in that kitchen at the moment before the artist comes in is very advantageous to me because it allows me to do the stuff that I want. Right. Okay, good time for us to take a break from uh, Dan and I asking you questions. And uh, we're going to do Danny's Quick Takes, which if you haven't listened to our podcast before, uh, Danny J. Quick normally has five questions that he has for you. Um, what, they're based off of things that he has found through your social media, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever he can find. Um, they're not necessarily about your comic books. Um, but he was actually nice enough to record them for us this time since he's not here today. Um, so I'm going to play the audio. You're going to have 45 seconds after the audio clip is done for you to answer the questions, and then we'll move on to the next one. All right. All right. So let's go with the first one here. Gene, it's your boy, Danny J. Quick. Um, since Kyron kicked me off the show this week, I figured why not do quick takes virtually? this time so if you're not familiar with quick takes i'm going to ask you five sec five questions and you have 45 seconds to answer each and uh off the top of your head so 
whatever answer you give goes on your permanent record and we will be bringing it back up later. So question number one. I noticed that you uh, you are a fan of uh, the weapons of superheroes and um, movies. So from the Green Lantern ring to the uh, lightsaber, I've seen you post pictures with all kinds of stuff. So if you could have one weapon from comics or films, what would it be and why? Well, that, that's easy. It's the Green Lantern ring. The Green Lantern ring can do practically anything. It's so underutilized in the actual comic. You can fly with it. You can you can make a giant car with it. You make a soft bed out of it. There's nothing you can't do with the Green Lantern ring as long as you have the will. And so that's my easy choice. Now I was kind of short, but that's my answer. No, that's fine. That's perfectly fine. Works. But can it help you fall in love? Oh boy, love. <laughs> oh god. All right. Let's excellent. Go on. Excellent. What's the next quick take, Karen? Let's I mean, Danny. <laughs> question number two i noticed while i was stalking your facebook page that you like to go out and do all kinds of events uh with your family but i just want to know which was better meeting buzz lightyear or swimming with the dolphins well buzz lightyear of course he's a legend uh swimming with the dolphins is one of those things i would never ever do by myself but my girlfriend at the time, my kid wanted to do it, so I did it. Um, you know, it's a, it's a touristy, silly thing you do when you go on cruises, which when you live in Florida, you go on cruises, it's nothing else to do. But meeting Buzz, Buzz Lightyear, it was like, freaking Buzz Lightyear. There's nothing better than that. He wouldn't fly for me, but uh, it was still cool. Excellent. Doing a good job keeping these answers tight. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. Question number three, and this should be an easy one, but let's see what your answer is. What is the best on-screen version of Superman? Oh, geez. You, you kind of have me in a spot here. Christopher Reeves is obviously the best version. Specifically, the Donner cut of Superman. It's almost the perfect Superman movie. Um, however, I am loving the heck out of the current uh, TV show, Superman and Lois. And I, it's one of the best versions of Superman I've ever seen. Uh, and of course, the old short Jordan Reeve TV show is also great. But any three of those, specifically Christopher Reeve and Superman 2, the Donner uh, perfection. I have to raise you. Actually, I am totally loving the new Superman series. Um, I feel like it's the best representation of Clark Kent in a while. It's so great. And yeah. and the kids. Every time yeah. you expect something from one of the kids, you get something else. Like, I really expected the other son without the powers to be a big jerk. And he constantly is the great guy on the show. So good. And they could have taken it so many, so many different directions, especially like with the thing with the dynamic between the powerless and the powered one. It, yes. It's, it's awesome. Well, they, they understand that Superman is about, he does the right thing because it's the way he was raised mm -hmm. by his Earth parents. And that's what makes Superman super. Not these powers. A lot of people have powers. Look, look at this this first season. There's all these people with those powers. But he stands out because he's he does right because it's the right thing to do. Because he's a kind person. You did leave one Superman actor out of it. You, what about Ben Affleck as George Reeves in the movie Hollywoodland? I'll give you that. That's pretty good. That was definitely pretty good. I'm, I'm glad you didn't ask me about uh, Man of Steel. That's a whole episode of, of its own. <laughs> 
So no love for Brandon Roth as Superman, huh? Yes, yes. I have a great love for Brandon Roth as Superman. I think he was a great Superman in an absolutely awful movie. Right. Um, right. When he came back as Superman in the CW Crisis crossover, I was thrilled. I think he did a great job there. All right, let's go ahead to, what was that? Question three, we're now on question four. Question, yeah. All right, I can count, I can count. <laughs> Sometimes. I love pies. I love cakes. I love anything sweet that you can eat, really. And I noticed that you're a fan of pie also. So, if you could only have one type of pie for the rest of your life, what type of pie would that be? You know, I didn't realize that this show is doing an ambush. Like, I don't know if I can answer this question. It's very personal. And I think that I feel you're attacking me. No kidding. Um, <laughs> I guess chocolate pie. Chocolate pie was like whipped cream and I'm a very basic guy. I also like two lines, but I'll mix them with chocolate. Okay. Nice. Fair enough. All right. <laughs> last question from Danny. And this will be the last time we have to hear from him for a while. I can get his work. Last but not least, question number five. I'm a huge Star Trek fan. I love all the Trek shows, but I wonder, how would you rank the Star Trek shows? Very tough question, but uh, here's here's the top three. Um, it's going to be Deep Space Nine in first place. Now, look, that sounds like heresy, but it's not. Uh, original series is really good, but I also accept it as being goofy sometimes. So that's why that slides down to number two. Um, I'm going to give Next Generation number three because it completely revitalized the franchise uh, and, and it made everything else that happened afterwards possible. Uh, I'm also a big fan of Discovery right now. Uh, the show that I didn't particularly care for was Enterprise because it bored me. It wasn't bad, it was just boring. Um, I like Card, but I mean, yeah, DS9 and, and original series would be top one and two, with Next Gen being number three. Uh, got a shout out to novel. Some of the Star Trek novels are. So Star Trek is the kryptonite here. Star Trek was my first fandom, man. Right. I could do a four-hour episode on, on Star Trek right now with no preparation. Well, at least we that. know what you're most passionate about. There we go. Yes, yes. That in comics. About oh, people. no, no. You're more passionate about Star Trek than comics. It's obvious at this point. <laughs> oh, do you ask me about the Clone, about the clone Saga? We'll see what happens. <laughs> I do All have right. one more quick take. Oh, okay, mm -hmm. go ahead. Got this because I'm taking Danny's place today. I have a question here. Since you mentioned that you do a podcast and interview creators, um, if you were to interview any comic creator, living or dead, indie or big, uh, or big time, main, main, big two, um, who would it be? And why is it Danny J. Quick from Ace Blade? <laughs> well, it would definitely have been Danny, but he, he trapped me with that question about five. I doubt his motivation. But um, a, lot of, a lot of people I've found to interview, the big people I've been lucky enough to do. Uh, Peter David, I've interviewed. I've interviewed uh, a few people, but I'm not I'm not pushing it by that. But um, I think people that I haven't talked to are like the Roy Thomas. Roy Thomas is a the Madness. He did a lot of Spider-Man stuff and a bunch of other great books. Um, and of course, you know, Stan Lee, he's not, he's not with us any longer, but he definitely would have been high on the list. Over at DC, Kurt Zappenberger. Uh, Dick Giordano, uh, Paul Levitz would all be on my list. Just because they, they, they they've all been responsible for books that I love, and I think they've been responsible for a lot of things. 
There we go. So equally passionate about comics. Proven, Kyron. All right. Right to the buzzer there. (laughs) Excellent. All right. Well, that was Danny and Danny's quick takes. Brought to you by Nerd Nation Presents. There we go. And now a word from our sponsor. And now we go right back to the show. Well, let's let's we have a couple more minutes here. So let's get back to you. Um, you know, actually, we missed something here. So let's let's actually go back to. Um, hold on, my dog is getting my attention. Uh, let's go back to your love of comics and what comics did you read this week? Uh, so, Gene, since you are the official guest, what did you read this week? Uh, the one big book that I, it, may, it may have been two weeks old, but I just read it this week was Blue and Gold Number One, um, okay. which is a, a Blue Beetle and Booster Gold book. It's going to be eight issues. It's starting by Dan Jurgens. Uh, I'm a huge Blue Beetle fan, and I like the the, the Beetle Booster team ups. And um, this was really good. They, they didn't they didn't forget anything. They didn't leave out any bit of continuity. It all happened. It was all important. But more than that, it was fun. Um, there there's a scene where Beetle and Booster save the Justice League, and then um, they ask um, Booster to go off with them and do something. And uh, that was only a distraction. They wanted to ask Blue Beetle to join the Justice League. But they didn't want Booster to be there because they don't want him to be on the team. And I thought it was just such a great character moment because Blue Beetle doesn't even hesitate in turning him down. He goes, not without my friend, I'm not going to do it. And to me, it's like that's the core of the character. And I love that. Um, I, I caught up on Amazing Spider-Man and Immortal Hulk this week as well. Those are two of the books that I'm really enjoying. Nice. All right. Dan Betzel, what about you? I've got a couple things. Um... I think technically only one of them is a comic. I apologize for that. Um, but uh, I, I've been reading a book published by a, a, a company called Boss Fight Books. They write about video games, a critical analysis. Not critical as in they're, they're saying everything's bad, but analyzing books and, and, and analyzing games. And, and they hire a bunch of um, a lot of really interesting writers. And I'm reading a book about one of my favorite video games of all time. I know this is a comic podcast called Final Fantasy VI, released in the States as Final Fantasy III. And it's all about the music from the game. And it's really, really well done. Um, uh, another book I picked up last week. It's, again, this is, more, this is kind of bridges the, the gap. It is a, uh, it, who put it out? Viz Media put out the, a long time ago, The Art of Howl's Moving Castle. And I'm My son big, actually has asked me for that book. I have a, I'm a big Hayao Miyazaki fan. And what I love about it is that he's a he's an animation director and writer that also draws, right? And he's made, you know, his comic Nausicaa was he made into a film, but it has a lot of his art in it. And it's just really cool to see his process creating stuff. Um, and then the other book, I, I do have a comic. I'm not actually sure how to say this out loud, but uh, I'm uh, Apossums, Apossums. No, that doesn't sound right at all. Uh, by Sutomo Nihei, it's a, it's a manga. Uh, he's most famous for making Knights of Sidonia. I don't read a lot of manga, but um, it's the thing that attracted me to it is that is the art style, which is different from what I've seen him do in Knights of Sidonia. It's very sketchy, very loose. Like a lot of the lines aren't even connected. Um, actually, I have. Let me let me try something, Kyron. This is more for the the viewers. I wonder if I can share the screen. Oh, I cannot share the screen. Never mind. I was going to sh- show you a put on the screen a, a, an image from the uh, from the book, but it's just really like sparse, which captures the story of the book, which is a, it's a post apocalyptic story that takes place on this like manufactured planet where um, it's been around long enough so that people can um, 
And there's like, it's like, it's kind of like Battle Angel Leader, where there's like the group of the, the haves who've kicked out the groups of have-nots. And the, pe- the people that, that have the wealth, that have the, the culture are living sort of inside this manufactured planet. But the book is about the people that have been ostracized and kicked out to the, the outer shell, for lack of a better word. And it's really, it's really neat, you know? And um, again, like I said, I don't read a lot of manga, but it's been captivating so far. But it's mostly about that art stuff. You can look it up. It's spelled a a-P-O-S-I-M-Z. And uh, you can see what I'm talking about when it comes to the really interesting sparse artwork. It's it's something that I would like try to, I'm actually going to, I would like to try to integrate some of that styling into um, even just like a practice piece or maybe even a work down the line. It's really cool. Thanks. Um, what about you, Kyron? Um, I actually read a bunch of stuff, but I'll just go through three that I went over. Um I bought Spawn Universe number one, which is the oh, yeah. launch from McFarlane, um, where it introduces uh, Western Spawn, I think is what they're calling him. There's Lady Spawn, or no, She Spawn, which I think is a horrible name, but. Uh, <laughs> and then they, you know, it's just reintroducing all these Spawn characters into the Spawn universe. Um, I bought uh, Skybound X number one which is the uh, anthology that Kirkman's putting out with. And then I got a, a personal favorite, Usagi Yojimbo. Um, they reprinted a Usagi, and I love Usagi since, you know, he was back in the Teens Mutant Turtles. And if any time I can get a book with him, I will pick that up. For sure. And there's that Netflix show that's coming out. Have you seen the still from it? They haven't done a trailer yet, but it uh, looks, looks pretty dope. But... Dean, let me ask you, um, I guess let's go to you and what do you have on Horizon coming from you and your company? If that was for me? Yeah. Okay. Um, a few things. Um, it, it's funny because I guess partially because of COVID and partially because of, of my own personal uh, health issues, I have a lot of stuff that was in the process that hasn't come out yet. Um and this is for some of from my company, some of from other companies that I'm working with. But Nerd Nation Presents is our anthology book that we use to, to you know, help indie people get published for the first time. And uh, I always have a story and at least, at least one story in every issue. Um, issue five is about 10 seconds from being done. Uh, Michael Wagoner, who is my, basically my, my digital guy, he puts all the books together and gets them ready and puts them out. Um, he moved recently, so that, that's held up that process a little bit. But issues five and six are in, in the process right now, um, and they're they're going to be great. They always are. They're 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 probably the dream project that I I've always had, and I'm most proud of. And I think um, Chuck Chuck Kino, who we mentioned earlier, his first uh, printed work was in the Nerd Nation Presents. Um, uh, Travis Gibb, who I'm sure you've heard of, he did a story in issue two. Uh, a, a lot of people kind of started out there and, and there's more of that that book will always continue as long as i'm breathing air there may be delays between issues but that'll always be out um we have actually colored colored um labyrinth of bones the, the one that came out with the black and white um it was meant to be in color and we finally have a color edition ready and if we can get the artist on board we'll have an additional eight-page story in that book that will lead into the the second and third stories even though Labyrinth of Bones was written as one shot, that was going to be standalone. There are two additional stories I have set in that universe. Uh, the next one being Bone Forged, which we're working on. And then uh, finally, it'd be Labyrinth of the Soul would be the third book to wrap that up. That's coming out. As I mentioned, 
Dolph Day 3 is somewhere in the horizon. I'm not sure where exactly, but it is. Um, I work with a group of people who just get together to make comics online uh, called Comics United. And we always have something brewing. I have um, a story about a time traveler, which to me is kind of like a James Bond time travel type story. Uh, that will hopefully be coming out. The Comics United gang all have, you know, work with their own family. So our projects go slow. Uh, but that's almost by design. We just do it when we can. But there will always be something Comics United out. Um, I mentioned Michael Wagner earlier. He runs uh, Freefall Press. Um, I'm helping him with a couple projects. I'm currently writing a masked um, El Diablo Azul crossover. El Diablo Azul is a re- uh, he's a luchador who fights. Um, he fights. How, how can I put this? I'm trying to remember how Michael wrote it. Um, urban myth. He's always going after like chupacabra and stuff like that. And the mask is a character that I wrote. Uh, I'm creating now. He hasn't seen print yet, but he will. He's a public domain character from a company called Nidor Comics back in the day. Uh, I've recreated him for uh, for my own purposes, and I'm trying to write a bunch of math stories as well. Uh, that's not everything, but it's all I can think of at the moment. Well, if you need an uh, artist, uh, I know someone, his name is Kyron Silva. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he could possibly draw some things for you if you ever need anything. He is definitely high on the list of people I have to work with. It's, it's just a... Uh, <laughs> It's just a matter of, of making that happen budget-wise, but we should definitely talk after that. That'd be awesome. And we can say it started here. There we go. This is where uh, it happened. So you say that, like, well, not so you say, but it, it's clear, like, you've done a lot of work here. It's, it's kind of spread across different series, across collaborations and stuff you're doing by yourself. If we just step back and say, what is a Gene Hoyle comic? Like, what's the, the thread that unites them all? What, it, what do you think that is? And I, maybe it's not for, for the creator to say that's something that time and culture will decide, right? But if you're, what's the thing that you think you are threading throughout our comics that makes it, um, that makes it part of your own sort of story? I think, I think my niche, where, where I'll be remembered, um, if I'm remembered at all, will be for characters that no matter what the situation is or what the genre is, you can relate to them on some level and really get attached to them. Because the most important thing to me are the characters in the story. Uh, Labyrinth of Bones is a fantasy story. Um, here, here's a little secret. I don't like fantasy. <laughs> I, don't like, I don't like reading it. I, I watch some if it's good. You know, if, if it's an 80s fantasy movie, then it's an exception and I love it. But I'm not a big fantasy guy. But um, the story of Gil Ridden, who's the main character of Labyrinth, um, had to be told in that setting. You know, it's, it's a man who does everything for his, I guess, for, for God and country. You know, it happens to be this kingdom. And uh, he gets back and he's screwed. He gets screwed over really hard. And his family dies as a result. And the rest of the story is about whether or not he'll go for, for justice or revenge. And um, I like, in my opinion, that he doesn't necessarily make the right decision. And so characters that you can, even if you, you don't agree with them, you like them and you understand them. That's the kind of stories I want to tell. I want people to be talking about, I can't believe that Gil did this, and, you know, Gil did this thing in this story, and it, was, it fascinated me, because it wasn't what I expected him to do. Um, that's what I want to be known for. I'd love to be known for a great big science fiction epic, but that's down the line. And I actually have a story called Gold Rush that um, I've written the first issue for. Uh, I have a horror story in that the fir- entire first issue was drawn and colored before we had to scrap the project. 
but um because the artist was the artist was completely tracing other people's stuff i think i'm yeah, talking we, about <laughs> yeah we found out about um i don't know two weeks before the project would have been wrapped up everyone put all this work into it but gold rush is a story of uh these four kids on the, the least important planet in the universe there's nothing going on in this little planetoid and uh the, the kids through their adventures discover a um a, an, a, a cave con- containing the uh, substance that makes faster than light travel possible so they've just become the most important planet in the universe and it's the story of those kids and what happens to them when uh you know the, the whole world changes around them and that's a that's a sci-fi story i'd love to be known for that story uh, runners and gold rush are my priorities i'd like those to be my legacy once, once I'm dead and gone. We'll keep doing it. Keep pushing. Oh, I will. They're, they're, they're never far from my mind. And even though it's been years, they're never far from my thoughts. Because comics is what I want to do. It's, um, I know some, some people define themselves by what they do for a living. You know, I'm a lawyer. I'm, a, I'm an accountant. To me, it's never been about what you do for money. That's how you survive. Uh, no matter how I make my money, more than likely it's going to be retail or, or the you know the sex industry uh, <laughs> i'll always be a writer in my own head well this has been fun gene um and i appreciate you coming on to our show i apologize that danny j quick wasn't here but i thank dan for at least stepping up at the very last moment to do this um but gene where can we find your work uh your podcasts you know where can we buy your books online or where well right now um we were working on a website, um, which is going to be Right now, you can't find that. It's not available for some reason. Uh, so we're working on that. You can find Dulce on, um, oh, darn it. I think, I think it's, um, it's, it's Eric's site, Eric Cockrell's own site. And I can't remember the name of it right now. Um, and also I Comixology would, and Amazon Dulce is. Yeah. I know that. Um, a book I didn't get to mention was I, I actually did a story for a video game anthology called Get in the Game. Um, that's available. This is exciting for me because this is a big leap forward. It's available in comic stores anywhere. It's available in Books a Million and Barnes and Noble. And so, so that's that. Uh, as far as runners and labyrinths goes, if you're interested in that stuff, and you should be, because it's not bad, uh, you're gonna have to contact me on social media. I don't have a place to sell them right now. Uh, we're working on all of that. Me and, me and you know the team behind me, um, and I hope to get more organized in the coming year. Uh, but there will be a website at some point. And as far as the podcast goes, basically any of the podcast aggregates, like, you know, Apple, uh, Google, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. You, you type in Nerd Nation Radio, you're going to find us on most of those aggregates. There's about 11, 12 years worth of stuff. That's a lot of work. That's <laughs> too much work. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Dan Bethel, where can we find your work at? Um. You can find my I know podcast. we talked about it earlier, but right, you know, right. reiterate. I won't, I won't do the hard push like I did last time. <laughs> uh, you can find my podcast, which is a, a nerdy geeking discussion podcast with me and uh, my friend Andrew. We're overeducated nerds. He's a lawyer. I'm an English professor. You can find that at forallintents.net. You can also find it on any podcasting service you'd like. Um, you can find my comic, Long John, at longjohncomic.com, uh, where you can also find my social medias, if you will. And... Uh, yeah, I think that's that's all my stuff. Kyron, where can we find you? Ah, well, you can find me at TaurusComics.com. Uh, I am on Twitter and Instagram and Tumblr at Taurus Comics. 
you can find the podcast. If this is your first time actually listening to this podcast, you can find us at fourtalespodcast.com. That's the number four, T-A-L-E-S podcast.com. Also on Twitter and Instagram at fourtalespodcast. And if you search us on YouTube, we're trying to get to 100 subscribers. We are nowhere near that goal, but we're trying. Uh, but you can just search for T-A-L-E-S podcast and we should pop up. Uh, but this has been fun, you guys. I appreciate both of you guys stopping in. Um, but join us next time where we, Danny, will be back, hopefully. Um, and we will actually be doing our first ever live broadcast. So please join us if you can. Uh, but until then, sign our goodbye and please take care of yourselves. Music provided by Quick Made It. That's Q U I X K M A D E I T. Find them on YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. I want to know what it is Quick is trying to say.